Good morning. So the scripture reading is from Acts chapter 13, verses 26 through 33. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled him by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Thank you, Tommy. There we go. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm doing well. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. And he planted it with choice vines. And he built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it. In just a few moments, we'll return once again to Acts chapter 13 this morning. But before we do, if you would consider this poem with me this morning about a gardener, about a vine dresser and his vineyard. In the beginning of the poem, it does it describes for us the type of special relationship that a gardener has with his vineyard. He cherishes it. And the vineyard was located on a very choice piece of land, perfectly selected to provide flourishing for his plants and for his vineyard. But before he can begin to plant and garden, the first thing he has to do is he has to remove the stones. And I imagine the gardener on his hands and his knees carefully and calmly removing one stone at a time. And when his hands are, are uh, all of the stones, he carries the, he carries the gathered stones off to the side. And maybe he intends to use the stones for another project, maybe a wall or a gate. And when he's emptied his load of rocks and stones, he returns to the field once more and he gets down again begins gathering stones. A, a tedious work, but it's a labor of love. And when the field is cleared from the stones, only then he begins to plant it with choice vines. And these vines, these fruits, are going to be the best of the best. The only way to ensure that these vines would be the best of, of, of all the vines, he can only use the best seeds. And I imagine him examining the bag of seeds turning them over one handful at a time as he delicately places each seed into its hole in the ground. And then he pats the soil over the choice seeds and he returns to the bag once again, examining another handful, turning it over one seed at a time. And when the field is full of the best seeds all safely planted in the ground, the gardener takes a step back and, and he looks at it 
And he says that there needs to be a structure of, of protection over, over this garden. He can't just plant the seeds and walk away. After all, he's devoted so much time and so much thought and energy to this, to this vineyard. Because this vineyard is going to be perfect. So he builds a watchtower right in the midst of the garden. A place where he can be close by to protect the plants from wild animals. A place where he can look out from the window and enjoy the visual fruits of his labor. After all, the gardener has worked very hard on this vineyard. He's worked very carefully. And when the watchtower is complete, he looks out at the plants, and he sees them, and they're starting to grow, and the stems are sprouting from the ground, and the leaves are, are, are beginning to bloom off the vine. He's devoted a great amount of time and thought and care to these to these vines, they are sure to produce the sweetest of wine. But not yet. So to prepare for the harvest, he, he gets to work yet again, carving and digging out a place to store the sweet wine in the watchtower. It's an absolutely beautiful poem, I think, of how a gardener tender, tenderly cares for the work of his hand. And after the calm work of the gardener, creating, nurturing, preparing for this vineyard. The poem includes this line here at the end. And he looked for it to yield grapes, and it yielded wild grapes. This poem is written by Isaiah. You might have recognized it as the song of the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5. It is describing how God intimately cares for his people. Because God is the gardener. He is the vine dresser. It was God who selected the field. It was God who got down on his hands and knees and he removed the stones. It was God who examined each seed as he planted it. It was God who built the watchtower so he could be nearby. And when God looked at his vineyard for fruit, when he looked at his people hoping to find grapes, they were all wild because the people were not his. Their lips might have spoke his name, but their hearts were far from him. And after all the care and the time and the wisdom, the choice vines that he planted were sour. They were worthless. They were wild. And in utter devastation, God cries out this in verse 4 of Isaiah 5, What more was there to do for, for my vineyard? that I have not already done it. This month, we are working through the middle chapters of Acts to identify characteristics of Christians in the early church. What signs of life did they have? How can we work as the church today to emulate their culture, their mindset, to share their, their priorities? Because they found Jesus, there was evidence in their life that they were Christians. They had fruit to show for their or their faith. That's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, and we'll continue to think about that in the coming weeks. And we're still moving through Acts this morning, but instead of focusing on the Christians, I want us to turn to the Jews, to the people who already believed in God, but they didn't yet know who Jesus was. We've read that there were any Jews who were becoming Christians. In fact, we'll see this morning that there were some who are interested to know more, who are interested to hear about the Son of God. But there is a mindset. 
there is an attitude that is still prevalent among the Jewish people. And it finds its roots all the way back in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to see that it can still happen in the church today among Christians. Last week, we got to see Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians alike gathering together, sharing in the grace of God through their steadfast purpose when they were first called Christians in Antioch. We saw that at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. But this week, Paul continues his journey, continuing to seek and teach others about Jesus Christ. So let's pick back up in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 14. On their travels and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for 40 years, he put, them, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This is Paul continuing on his journey to share the gospel. And when they arrive at a new place, one of the first places that they'll go to is a synagogue to share with Jews, to share with people who already know about God. And I think we see something kind of surprising here. We see these Jews asking Paul, who is now openly a Christian, asking Paul for encouragement. So Paul gets to work encouraging, reminding them of all of the good things that God has done for his people, the Israelites, how God removed the stones and how God turned over the seeds, how they flourished in Egypt because of God's work through Joseph, uh, how they flourished in Egypt because of God's work through Joseph, all the way to Israel's flourishing in the land of Canaan under King David by the work of God. And Paul takes this background, he takes this shared understanding that he has with these Jews, and he tries to connect the dots for them. He continues in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, as, as was read earlier, those of you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by continuing by condemning him, him, of course, being Jesus. What Paul is telling them is that Jesus, the Messiah, has already come, and not just that Jesus has already come, he has come and went, and they missed him. But they didn't really miss him because they saw him, and in fact, they condemned him. And he continues on in verse 32, we bring you the good news that what God promised the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, they are children by raising Jesus, and also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He had spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. What Paul is doing is he's connecting the dots for these Jews, that Jesus is the one who bridges the gap. Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness of sins. It's something that the Jews haven't really understood yet is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old law. He's the fulfillment of what the prophets have, ha, ha, have been talking about. He explains this more in the following verses, that Jesus does what the old law could not do. 
And after giving them a word of encouragement, reminding them what God has done for the vineyard and sharing, them, sharing with them the good news about Jesus, Paul shares with them an unfortunate truth. In verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside, and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. And behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. The unfortunate truth is that the Jews, these Israelites, the chosen nation, wasn't producing any fruits. Paul says that they were taking the word of the Lord and they were thrusting it to the side. In a way, Paul is describing them as a fruitless generation. The unfortunate truth that he shares with them is that the Jews are the vineyard that God so painstakingly was working on. And instead of producing the choice fruits as God intended, they produced wild fruits. They threw away their opportunity to produce what God was doing in them. In Acts, I, I hope as we've been moving through this, we can see examples of how the early church modeled a Christ-focused community, a, a truth-centered community, and that we could try to do the same. But I also hope that we recognize the fruitlessness of the Jews in this time, and that we would not be people who live the same way. Because the Jews knew all the stuff, but it wasn't changing their lives. What they were missing was Jesus, and Paul tries to connect the dots for them, but even those who were finding Jesus were still carrying the same fruitless attitude. When we take all the good that God has done for us and we do nothing with it, in a way we're throwing away the fruit. Don't get me wrong, when it comes to our salvation from sins, God is the one who does all of the work. Let's just consider again the song of the vineyard. God does everything for the vines. All the seed has to do is obey. All the seed had to do was grow. All the seed had to do is produce based on everything that it had been given. It didn't even matter how much was produced. But when God was looking for grapes, they were all sour. He does, he does all the work. And it isn't just a problem for Jews that they're taking the fruit and they're throwing away. It can be a problem for Christians as well. There are a, there are a few ways that you and I can throw away the fruit in our lives. We throw away the fruit when we live in ignorance. We don't know what God wants us to do. We simply will not do it. Jesus said it this way, if we aren't in tune with the vine, how can we ever hope to produce good fruit? Christians today don't just need to be reading our Bibles, but we need to be reading our Bibles together on the same vine, so to speak. If we remain ignorant to God's word, we cannot be surprised when his word doesn't have fruit in our lives. We throw away the fruit when we live in apathy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, hearing the word and the need to do something with it. If we aren't moved by the word of God, or actually, if we don't allow God's word to move us, 
then it will fall flat on our, on our own deaf ears. If you've tried to read your Bible more, but it, it just hasn't been working for you, you, you aren't gripped yet, that, that's okay. It will come. It takes time. But it also takes community. Again, we need to be stirring people up in God's Word. And a part of our studying the Bible together is that we are awakening the spirit that is within us to hear and know the Word of God and to do it. If we remain apathetic to God's Word, well, we can't be surprised when we aren't moved by God's Word. We also throw away the fruit when we live without a sense of urgency. We think to ourselves, maybe next week I'll, I'll get more involved. Maybe next week I'll go home and I'll read the scripture that we talked about in class. Maybe next week I'll, I'll go to class. But next week never comes. And we just keep kicking the can down the road. If we keep kicking the can down the road and waiting for something good to happen in our lives, when it does actually happen, odds are we'll miss it. Because the Jews missed it. In fact, the Jews crucified it. If we carry no urgency with our faith, urgent to learn more, urgent to do more, urgent to love more, urgent to serve more, if there is no urgency, well, don't be surprised when there is not fruit in your life. Because God's already done the work. We just can't throw away the fruit. In Acts, Jews are faced with a reality that their previous religious habits were producing fruitless lives. Not unlike the Israelites at the time that the Song of the Vineyard was shared in the Old Testament in the time of Isaiah. And even though God worked tirelessly, relentlessly, tenderly to prepare that vineyard when it produces no fruit— it is of no use. And this is what Isaiah says God will do to the vineyard. Back in Isaiah 5, verse 5. Now I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed. Or righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Regrettably, God will tear it down. He will tear down his fruitless vineyard. In this graphic, almost breakup scene, where it seems like God is thrashing about, he is destroying the vineyard, lashing out, it says that God is going to make the vineyard a waste. But the truth is, the vineyard was already waste. Because it didn't, have, it didn't have good fruit. This beautiful song closes with an incredible line in, in verse 7, where it says, God looked for justice but found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness but found outcry. This is uh, a play on words. Each of these word pairs... Uh, sound really similar in Hebrew, but it's also poetic irony because what God is looking for, he finds the exact opposite 
He's looking for his justice and his righteousness, but he finds bloodshed and outcry. He's looking for his people, but he finds a people who look nothing like his people. If you are like one of the Jews who are present in the synagogue in Acts chapter 13, verse 15, and you're saying, Caleb, give us a word of encouragement. Well, here it is. It's that God intimately cares for his vineyard, for his people. And God has been at work tenderly, tirelessly, relentlessly, so that he could be known by you. The creator of this world cares so much for the little seed that he's turned it over several times in hand, and he's bent down and removed each stone, and he's patted the soil down so that you could produce fruit, and that your life could be good. And he looks at us from the watchtower in the midst of the garden, and hopes to say that this is good. This is very good. And for those who are willing to be planted and those who are willing to be watered, who will let God prune you and who will cling to the vine, these people will produce the choice fruits. But here's the best news. Here's the more encouraging news that I can share with you this morning is that Jesus is the answer for when we don't. We still need to be people who bear the fruit, and we still need to be Christians who are doing something with what God has given us. But even when God looks at you from the watchtower, hoping to find good fruit, he hopes to find his justice and his mercy. He hopes to find someone that looks like his child, but instead he finds sour fruit. Instead, he finds someone who's lost in sin, crying in distress, even when he looks at you and finds you as a fruitless vineyard, he still sees someone who's worth sacrificing his son for. And instead of giving us the justice and righteousness that we deserve, he gives us mercy. If you are not a Christian this morning, I, I hope that you know that God cares immensely for you. The wages in, of sin and guilt have no more hold on you because you can know Jesus. If you need to be baptized and receive the forgiveness of your sins, please make that known. We would love to assist you with that. But if you are a Christian, I hope you consider your fruit. The evidence and the data around our country right now shows that there are many churches and there are Christians out there who are living like this is a fruitless generation. And it does not have to be. If we aren't seeing the kind of fruit in our life that God is looking for, then maybe we need to reevaluate what we're allowing to feed us and who we're allowing to feed us. If we don't see the fruit of God in our lives, maybe it's time we start to re-engage with God's word and with God's community in the church. If we out are already seeing fruits in our lives and we do feel like we've got it I've, I've got this down then we need to find more opportunities to pull others in to reach more people maybe we need to reach other people who are at this church 
Maybe we need to reach people who have left this church, and maybe we need to reach people who have absolutely no interest in God at all. Whoever it is, someone here, someone gone, or someone that we've never known, God has carefully examined their seed. And he's done the work, and he's going to remove stones in their life so that they can know him too. I hope that we are not getting nothing out of our fruit, out of the fruit of being a Christian. I hope that we're not taking the fruit that is showing up in our lives if we are a Christian and throwing it to the side. If you have any need this morning, whether it's on person or on Facebook, I hope that you make it known. If not right now, then maybe sometime later this week. Don't forget the word of encouragement, though. That God tenderly cares for you. Because he really does. Are you waiting for a sign? Are you waiting for the right time? Are, are you waiting for the stars to align in your life for you to get serious about your faith? Because God says, what more can I do for my vineyard that I have not already done? There are plenty of signs. And he sent his son so that there's no more excuse for you to not owe him anymore. If you have any need this morning, I want you to make it known right now as we stand and we sing.